1: And remember that we have lived through a moment in history that people will study and write PhDs about and kids will learn about at school and you will be able to tell your grandkids about.
2: Hey, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of It Ain't Weak to Speak. My name is Sam Webb, and this show is dedicated to ending the stigma around mental health through community, connection, and the hard-hitting truth. I'll be speaking with guests from all over the world about life to inspire and to educate people to speak up so that we can save more lives. Thank you for joining me on this journey. Hey, everyone, and welcome back onto the podcast today. I want to say welcome back to those avid committed listeners on the It Ain't Week to Speak podcast. We're all very, very grateful for your time, obviously. To those new listeners, welcome. Welcome to the living community. We, We love having you here. I hope you guys are all doing well. I hope whatever you've been doing in your life right up until this very moment, you're grateful. I hope that whatever hardships and struggles or challenges that you're probably going through, I hope that you've found a little bit of peace and you're getting some good breakthroughs and you've been able to reach out and and share some of those with, with maybe your friends, your family, people that you trust. And also I want to make mention that, you know, if you are struggling right now and if it's not mental health related, I want you to know that these things definitely pass. I'm not sure exactly what it is that you might be going through. I can't say I've been through every challenge in the world, obviously, but I've been through some pretty bad ones and with time and with reaching out and asking for help and stuff like that things definitely improve i hope you stay committed to your wellness journey wherever you are and whatever you've been up to and whatever you're doing right now if you're walking your dog or if you're at the gym or if you're on the way to work i hope that you get a lot of value out of these podcasts and i really do hope you enjoy it i certainly put time into this hoping that you guys make some great value out in your own life from it and uh you're able to share it with your loved ones in whichever way shape or form that is, whether it's advice, whether it's a, a key message that you learn from it, or or whether it's just a, a passing phrase or something that sticks with you. Uh, I really do hope it's beneficial to you in one way or another. Today, we're going to be doing things a little bit different. You see, today is the release of our first ever CEO series on the podcast. I'm so excited because I get to speak to four amazing humans but on top of that they're all ceos chief executive officers of some of the biggest mental health organizations in australia i really want to find out from each of these people you know what it takes to run organizations in this space outside of living obviously i want to find out you know what challenges they face how they hire staff what they look for in team success how they manage leadership changes, all this stuff is going to be bundled up into four podcasts where I speak to four amazing humans, each who has their own unique story and their own unique why as to you know why they're doing what they do in the first place. I'm very fascinated as you'll be. There's a lot of key takeaway messages here, whether you're looking to pursue a career in mental health or whether you're just someone looking to start a business or pursue somewhere in the corporate world. These are the podcasts for you. I'm speaking to some extremely experienced individuals, all from relatively different backgrounds, who all possess extremely bright expertise in certain areas. And I want to find out, you know, on the inside, what it's like, you know, working in such big teams, how they manage change, challenges. Uh, that arise as a CEO, what are they overlooking? What changes do they have? How do they report to the board? What does a, an advisory board look like? Finance, uh, how they're making key finance decisions what they think the mental health sector is going to look like in 10 years. I asked practically as many questions as I could because I'm trying to add value here, guys. I want you to walk away from this with added knowledge in your own life, not just around mental health so much, but also around business, skills, insight, things that you probably wouldn't get an opportunity every day to speak to the CEO of Beyond Blue or the CEO of Reach Out, you know what I mean? So very lucky for this opportunity. And um, it gives me absolute great pleasure to welcome onto the podcast our first guest, which is going to kick off the CEO series. It's none other than the amazing Georgie Harmon, who heads up Beyond Blue. She was appointed as the CEO of Beyond Blue in, in May of 2014, where she has led a significant expansion of effort and results in both service innovation, suicide prevention, and digital solutions. Previously, she helped set up and was the deputy CEO of the Mental Health Commission, providing independent advice to government on reform. And she's also led national reforms to lift Australia's organ and tissue donation rates and worked in HIV and AIDS sector in Australia and the UK prior. So that's just a little bit about Georgie's background, but putting all that aside and looking at who she is as a human, she's just a, a gem, and uh, I can't wait for her to be on the podcast and for you guys to listen and to to gain some serious wisdom and insight into what it takes to run Australia's biggest mental health organisation, manage staff, and all that stuff in between, and what it takes. But there's a lot of lot of great business takeaways from. From this series, that's the the whole idea of it, and to also educate you on on what these organisations are actually all about and what they're doing and uh, what impact they're having on on young Australians and old Australians. And uh, I can't wait. But without further ado, guys, let's get Georgie Harmon onto the podcast, CEO of Beyond Blue, episode one on a four part CEO series. Well, I've got her here, sitting in front of me. It's an absolute pleasure and an honour to have the great Georgie Harmon. Welcome onto the podcast today, Georgie.
1: Great to see you, Sam. That was a bit of an intro. I'm a bit overwhelmed. I keep on looking over my shoulder like, who's he talking about?
2: Nah, 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 of course. Well, When was the last time we caught up? It would have been a few years ago, I think, when we caught up in Melbourne.
1: It was a few years ago. I reckon it was probably three, maybe even four years ago, because oh, you've been in LA for a while, haven't you? And it was in Hawthorne, in our old offices in Hawthorne.
2: Yeah, it was early 2017, so time flies, but it's great to... Great to see you. Great to have a chat with you. I'm looking forward to it.
1: And I remember having a girl crush on you because Survivor is my favourite TV program in the entire world, right? I've watched every single episode of every single series. It's my dirty little secret. And you had been on Survivor, so I was like this guy's a legend and I can't believe I'm talking to him.
2: you got to get on there. you got to have a go. Are you serious? So you've watched every episode of every season, like even like the Jeff Probst and everything from the States.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Wow.
2: You're a diehard fan.
1: I remember watching the first series and thinking, oh, this is going to be ridiculous. But it's just so interesting from a kind of, human relationships perspective. I mean, look, it's, you know, it's a bit trite and, you know, all the rest of it, and sometimes it's a bit shocking in terms of some of the ways that people react and and behave. But I just think it's a really fascinating show around human behaviour and relationships and the psychology of of relationships. And it's fun, right? It doesn't take itself too seriously. It's a great show. And I remember very clearly being in awe of you because you'd just been on my telly and I'd really enjoyed getting to know you through the screen.
2: Oh, thank you. I appreciate the support. It is an interesting game for sure from a social perspective and trying to read people, but definitely a, uh, a social game overall. It's not like you could be very strong, but I mean, where it really makes a difference is the social skills and the aspect of creating friendships and alliances and all that sort of stuff you'd probably know the game better than i do and i've played it so <laughs> It's all good. i
1: think i think just being serious about it for a moment like you know making the link between survivor and my work you know it's about connection and if you can connect with your fellow survivors if you can connect with the audience and if you can connect with people who are ultimately going to vote for you or vote for you off you can survive right and this year has been all about connection. This year has been all about us reminding ourselves of what is really important in life and it's relationships, it's people, it's love, it's connection, it's kindness, it's neighbourliness, it's all of the things that we have really not invested in or paid too much attention to because they're kind of those warm, fuzzy things. And and they have been our life rafts in the last 12 months or so.
2: Absolutely. I agree and very well said. I mean, you know, we've been through some of the hardest times, I believe, definitely since I've been alive. And what about you, Georgie?
1: I'm old enough to be your grandmother, probably.
2: (laughs) Come on.
1: (laughs) No, look, seriously, it it is quite remarkable, isn't it? I mean, who would have thought, you know, I remember working on the 1st of January 2020 and I was stuck in the middle of the summer bushfires. So I was on the north coast of of New South Wales and just thinking, wow, so this is what this year is going to be like. And I remember driving back to Melbourne and thinking, okay, this is going to be, our event of the year, in terms of the work that we do at Beyond Blue and the sector, and people are really going to need us. You know, there's going to be a lot of distress and immediately, but more importantly, in the years to come, as communities rebuild and trauma starts to really affect people. Gosh, we didn't know what was around the corner, did we?
2: No, you don't. You don't really hear about the bushfires anymore, do you? And that was some of the.
1: Thankfully, yeah, we, we do there. every now and then, and you know, I think us and many others actually in the sector keep on occasionally reminding people that communities have actually had a double hit and many communities have a double hit. They not only had the bushfires, but then, you know, they lost all the tourism dollars and the opportunity to actually rebuild on the scale that they wanted to. So it's been really hard for lots and lots of communities.
2: Support services like the ones you guys provide are needed more than ever. I think let's just back it up a bit actually, before I go into that, Georgie, you've been a CEO and I want to remind people who are listening. This is the series Of CEO from a mental health perspective of the sector itself. You started in your role in June 2014. How's that journey been for you and what's been one of the most challenging things for you?
1: So this is the longest I've ever stayed in one job. I'm a bit of a nomad. I tend to get bored and I always like a challenge and I always like a job with that makes me feel like I've got a purpose and that I'm actually, you know, it's a very overused saying, but making a difference to people and people who whose lives look very different to mine. And I think I found that in Beyond Blue more than in any other job that I've ever had. So I've been in the role for, yeah, six, six and a half years. I absolutely love my job. I often say I have the best job in Australia and people roll their eyes at me. But I really mean it. I I get up every day and I just, I love the people I work with, both within the organization and outside of the organization. It's an incredible sector of really skilled, talented, kind, funny people. And I just love the work that we do. And I'm really, really driven by the need to do better for people. We're still letting people down. The system is really not a system. And every day I get calls from people who are just tearing their hair out because they can't, they don't know where to start or they're just constantly coming up against brick walls. And, you know, it's such a big step often for someone to take that first step. To open their mouth and say, "I'm actually not travelling well." The self stigma, which I know is something that you talk a lot about, put aside community stigma. Self stigma is really the thing that we're very worried about now. So I love my job, and if I didn't get excited by what I do every day, and if I didn't feel like what we were doing was meaningful, that's the day that I'll hand up my shingle and say, "You know, you need to find somebody else now." So yeah, I really love it, and to be honest, the biggest challenge in my six years has been this this last year. But we had a virtual staff meeting at, in December. Normally we come together and have a real laugh and, you know, be a bit silly and celebrate the year and, and the achievements and the team and all that kind of stuff. And we did it online. And I remember at the end of it just saying, before we throw 2020 on the trash heap, let's actually think about what we've done this year and the kind of honour of the role that we were given because we really were there at the front line helping people. We were there every night and every day dealing with record numbers of contacts. We were given the task by the Australian government to actually build very rapidly, and we built in eight days, a brand-new service to operate around the clock to deal with any kind of distress caused by anything to do with COVID. So it's been a remarkable year. I've learned a lot as a leader. I've sat back and watched my team work so hard and really struggle themselves because, you know, we're based in Melbourne and we went through one of the hardest lockdown in, in the world and it was really tough. So it's been a really, really tough year. But as I said to my staff, before we throw it on the trash heap, let's actually just remember what we have done and remember that we have lived through a moment in history that people will study and write PhDs about and kids will learn about at school and you will be able to tell your grandkids about and, of course, We'd rather not have gone through the pain and suffering that we've been through, but let's just really focus on what we've actually learned, both individually and as families, as a workplace and as a community. And I think there were some really interesting learnings.
2: Especially, I mean, during hardships and trauma and stuff like that is generally where you do learn a lot, not only about yourself, but the people in your circle or the people within your organisation. I do want to ask, uh, because there are a lot of people who are listening right now and who are part of the living community, and we advertise and promote Beyond Blue across all of our programs for help support and help seeking and who to reach out to for help if you might be struggling, especially in our school programs, our Live in Well program. But I want to ask you this. How many staff are actually inside Beyond Blue? Because I know so many people think Beyond Blue is this massive organization. They're like the benchmark of mental health in Australia. How many staff are underneath you or how many people are within the organisation?
1: Well, we're actually growing at the moment. So um, normally we'd have about 200 staff. We'll grow to about 250, 280 over the next sort of six months to a year. And that's because we're just launching a lot of new services. We're actually really transforming what we do. So we'll be bringing people in with different skill sets to what we've had before to really transform, you know, our services and our digital work, for example. Well, a normal year around 200, but we are, we'll we'll get about 250. And then on top of that, we employ all of our counsellors. So these are people who mainly work part-time, work from home and, you know, operate our staff, our 24-7 support service. At the moment, we've only got one office, but we're starting to kind of all work in this hybrid way of you know home office and being much more flexible about where people are located doesn't really matter we found out haven't we but about 12.9 million Aussies turn to us every year so that's the kind of scale and sometimes they have a really brief relationship and they just want some information and to go and talk to their partner or whatever or and sometimes you know we get a lot of people who really have quite complex needs and turn to us very regularly so yeah it's an incredible organisation that is doing really good work i mean we can always be better and i think that's the journey that we're on we're challenging what we've done in the past and saying to ourselves that's actually not good enough anymore we need to we need to actually transform what we do because just like we're seeing the system needs change we also need to change
2: what do you think like as a ceo of beyond blue and obviously being surrounded by advisors and your board of directors and every everyone else and maybe your own mentors what, what do you think needs to change what do you think stands out and you can see clearly all right this isn't working or something needs to really really be better here
1: the issue is we built a system with sticky tape and BlueTac and we've bolted things onto the side and we've kind of got one edge that's kind of leaning to the left and we don't actually have a system. So if you have a first episode of anxiety, for example, um, if you get past the stigma either that you place on yourself or that others place on you and you start to realise that actually this isn't normal and there is help, this can be treated, you know, where do you go? A lot of people come to Beyond Blue. A lot of people go to Lifeline. A lot of people go to Headspace. But the front end of the system is actually okay, I think. Uh, people actually know where to start. But then it's the kind of disconnectedness, especially if you have, you're in suicidal crisis, for example. All roads lead to emergency departments. Now, emergency departments are the worst place most of the time for, for people who are thinking of killing themselves. Because they're chaotic, they're noisy. There's bright lights. The amazing staff in EDS are, you know, really under the pump, rushing around, saving people's lives. But there's no, often no alternative for ambulance and police to take, other than to take someone to an emergency department. And our police service has actually become a proxy mental health service. You know, they've become the front line. I could talk about this for about three hours, but the bottom line is, my diagnosis is that we don't have a system. And the system that we do have is really focused on where providers are and not where people are. So we actually need to redesign the system so it's about people and it's about not just treating the problem that we present with but actually seeing all of the parts of our lives. Because you can treat my depression, but I might live in unstable housing. I might be going through a relationship breakdown. I need some legal advice. I might be, you know, struggling at work or being bullied at work. There are all of these parts of the tapestry of our lives that the system just points to, okay, here's your anxiety, do this, take these drugs, come and see me in the end three months' time. And, you know, that's, I'm being a bit facile here, but we don't actually say, okay, what, what's actually going on in your whole life and how do we actually connect you into all of the supports that actually might come together around you and hold you up and help you deal with all the different parts of the circumstances of your life that are actually contributing to your distress.
2: But there's so many different things at play, and, and you'd know this too, I mean, for someone that's got anxiety, your troubles might be very different to mine, they might be stemmed from a completely different background, It might be something that you was, you know, brought up within your early childhood, whereas mine might be from an event, I suffer with PTSD for example. You know, so maybe what I need might be completely different to what you need. And I'm hearing what you're saying, but it sounds very challenging itself finding like that one-stop shop so that people aren't falling through the cracks. I mean, it's almost like you need your own team around you or like a support group around you that all specialize in different areas so that they can help point you in the right direction. That's what I'm hearing you say.
1: That's right. And a and team that actually talks to, to one another as well. And your consent shares information about what they're talking to you about and some of the challenges. But you're absolutely right. Anxiety is not a one size fits all. There's several different types of anxiety with very, very different therapeutic responses. PTSD is a very specialist treatment regime as opposed to, you know, um, social anxiety as opposed to OCD. So at the kind of medical end and at the treatment end, we absolutely need those specialist pathways for people. But then, you know, if you live with PTSD, you might be having, again, relationship issues or housing issues or et cetera, et cetera. And it's about building a team around a person that actually is your cheer squad and that actually talk to one another, talk to you, and together you work it out. For a lot of people, that's not only just not there, but it's not affordable. We've got the ways in which providers are funded to do their work. They're not funded to actually collaborate.
2: And that's the hard thing, isn't it? Because a lot of people don't speak to each other. There's not a lot of disclosure going on for a various range of reasons so that it's really hard to point the finger at someone because it's a lot to do with the policy and the way things are structured and all the red tape that can be involved and all that sort of stuff as well
1: you're absolutely right and and, you know this is sounds like a very simple solution it is incredibly complex but look we can do it for say breast cancer if i was to be diagnosed with breast cancer i would go to my gp i would get a referral i would go and get my scans I would have my biopsies, I would have a breast care nurse, you know, I'd be referred to a psychologist, I'd have my treating team, my psych team, my community-based aftercare team, and they'd talk to each other and I'd want them to do that. Now, we do this for many other different types of diseases. Why can't we do it for one of the most common sets of conditions that actually affect a lot of us, you know, one in five of us? And because it's mental illness, it's somehow, oh, we can't treat it the same way as any other. And, and that is because of this, you know, compared to many other diseases like cancer, we're still learning a lot about mental illnesses and mental health conditions. The science is still evolving. The ways in which we work with people with lived experiences, we're seeing that actually they hold a lot of the expertise. And we need to listen to them and ask, what do you actually need and what can we do for you? As opposed to you're mad, bad and dangerous, and here's what we're going to do to you. So the stigma and the emerging science is is we're still catching up, I think. I'm a bit of a policy nerd, you know. I love imagining what's possible. And I've spent a bit of time, I'm a recovering public servant, so I worked for government and so I kind of have a pretty reasonable understanding of how government works and how policy is developed. And you know, one of the real challenges we have in Australia is the federation. So we've got for a country with a population of, what, 25 mil, we've got three levels of government. I mean, it's really tricky because every government has an arm wrestle every now and then. Everyone, A lot of the time, governments don't pull their investment or collaborate in ways that we'd really like to see. It's, it's getting better, but we really need governments to work seamlessly together and to decide which government's going to fund which bit, which going to take responsibility for which bit and actually co-invest. And then I think we'll have some of the foundations for a system.
2: So you, you definitely are a massive believer that government and funding, they need to play a massive role in this restructure or these new programs or whatever it is we land on, government play a pivotal role in that for us. Is that what you're saying?
1: Yes, of course. Governments have to play a pivotal role. But the idea that we just point the finger at government and say, you've got to fix this is both naive and wrong. Governments have a massive role to play. And yes, we pay taxes so that we can be provided with services, especially health services when we need them. But it's about the sector actually lifting its game as well and working better together. It's about us as a sector continuing to work really closely with governments and giving them really pragmatic, practical advice. We talk about these big terms like prevention, early intervention. What do we actually mean when we say that? Give governments specific things that they can say okay now I get it and actually we might be able to do that we might be able to spend some money here and all the rest of it so it's about governments working the sector it's about the sector working together but it's also about all of us working as a community and a massive part of Beyond Blue's work is actually lifting the confidence and literacy of everybody in Australia to play a role whether that's Kids at school, actually, through programs like yours, learning how to support one another and grow in confidence and resilience. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones,
0: Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com.
1: in self-esteem or whether that's teachers actually knowing how to support the kids that they can see are struggling and and work with their parents and carers. It's about me looking out for my neighbour and saying, oh, I haven't seen him for a few days you know maybe i just need to slip a note under the door and knock on the door and see so it's about all of us playing our role it's about community
2: i agree with that too it's a team collaborative approach and i think everyone plays a role in not only the way forward but also recovery in itself yes someone's struggling might be listening to this obviously would have to acknowledge it and put their hand up at some level and, and seek the help that they desperately need but Without that team collaborative approach to getting help and getting back on track, it can be very hard, you know, if you don't have those things in place. So I love that approach. I think I agree with it. I, I absolutely agree with it. You being a CEO for Beyond Blue, and you're probably not so consumed by the cold face of things, or I'll be right saying that, like being at the absolute forefront, like how do you get a handle on all that as a CEO? And like, it's even hard for me these days, and I've got a lot smaller team than what you do at Livin'. Like we started this and you do great things and you see making a difference and you know you're making a difference, but sometimes you're not so much at the cold face anymore. So you personally don't always get to see that impact. You're hearing it through maybe a staff member or someone else. How do you deal with all that? Like, what does that make you feel like, I guess?
1: Yeah, it's a really great question, Sam, and one that, you know, I do mourn the kind of opportunities that I used to have in different roles. But what I do is every year I make sure that I do go to grassroots events. So we have a fantastic team of our community team who work with our amazing speakers and ambassadors and Blue Voices members. And we go out into schools and to local fairs and agricultural shows and men's sheds and all kinds of things. And I try and get to a few of those every single year. And, you know, I'm always asked to, you know, say a few words and all that kind of stuff. But what I really love is actually just hanging out and just chatting to people and saying, what's happening and how are you feeling about the world the universe and what we do and that serves two purposes for me you know sitting down in the dirt with people actually reminds you that you're just you're not actually that special you know (laughs) and you don't have all the answers and it's the best litmus test of whether or not the work that you're doing is actually making a difference to people so I try and do several events like that every year in fact I was at at a local festival a couple of weekends ago and it was great it was really really good. The other thing we do is whenever we have staff meetings or things like that, we always invite someone with lived experience to come and talk to us and just tell us their story and give us their insights into how we might have made a contribution to their recovery or actually where we need to do better. So constantly reminding ourselves of who we serve and doing that in ways so you can look someone in the eye, even if it's through a screen these days and remember why we're here. So those are a couple of the strategies that I use. But a lot of the stuff we do is digital and online. And it was before the pandemic. The one thing that the board, the executive, the senior leadership team are absolutely committed to is never losing those grassroots connections. That's really where Beyond Blue started. And I think why we've had, you know, the track record that we've had is we've always remained pretty connected to community. And I think at times we've lost that. And, you know, we've had to kind of remind ourselves of that and figure out new strategies as we've grown to keep try and keep connected. And the way we do that more and more these days is to work through other organisations who already have those deep, trusted networks on the ground. We don't need to come in and charge into their space we actually just need to say hey how can we help you know here's all of our products and services why don't you have a chat with your communities and let them know they can access them at any time so you know forming partnerships and relationships with a whole
2: range of different organizations is where we're heading. Yeah I love that and I think that collaboration within the space and other smaller grassroots organizations especially in the mental health sector it is very important because I mean everyone as you mentioned earlier and we agreed on, like everyone plays their role in that greater why. Like we've all got our collective whys as to why we exist, why we're here, what we do. What's our niche? like as organizations, what do we focus on? And staying true to that, But I think overall we've got that why. Obviously saving people's lives, for example, giving people the support and the help that they need so that they can live a fulfilling life. On that note, how can grassroots organizations support Beyond Blue and how can Beyond Blue support grassroots organizations? Because I know there are a lot out there and there are a lot that just pop up and they start and they start from very traumatic places like Livin did, right? We started in 2013 after we lost a a very dear friend to suicide and since grown exponentially since then through the support of thousands of people from all over the world. How can grassroots new organizations in the mental health space help this overall mission, I guess? What are your thoughts on that?
1: So I think there's a place for the big players and there's absolutely a place for the smaller community-based organisations. I probably get, you know, 10, 12 approaches every week from organisations saying, can we partner with Beyond Blue? And I've started to ask a question of them when people, you know, so they come to me and say, can we partner with Beyond Blue? And I say, what does partnership look like to you? What do you want from us? What does a partnership with Beyond Blue look like to you? Because we can spend a lot of time talking about, you know, da-da-da-da-da, but just tell us what you want. And most of the time, those organisations will say, oh, we want to be able to, you know, say we're working with you and we're referring people to you and we're sharing your information with our communities and we're feeding our insights into you. And I'm just like, perfect. Let's just do it. Let's start tomorrow. We don't need to form a, a formal partnership. We don't need an, an MOU. We don't need a contract. Just start connecting your communities with what we do. And we would love to hear your insights because we need to stay connected with, for example, multicultural communities or LGBTIQ plus communities or young apprentice men or, you know, whatever the population groups are. And this kind of furphy of, you know, partnership, is complex and actually means logos and all this kind of stuff. Yes, it can. It can. But for me, partnership is actually about saying, what do you want from us? Can we do that? Yep, go for it we want people and organizations to know about and to be connected with and to be referred to and to be linked to our support service our digital content our apps our support services around the country our schools programs we want that to be happening and just so just do it <laughs> my response and i think it can be a really effective relationship because Smaller grassroots organisations are so connected with their local communities; they'll never have the relationships that we'll have as a big national organisation. Nor should we even try that, right? It's just not what we're good at. It's not what we're set up to be. So to have connections with organisations that have those relationships, and for those organisations to say, "Hey, this is what we're seeing." That's really useful intelligence for us in order to kind of think, okay, so for our support services in this region, we know, for example, that there's an emerging issue with something. So how do we actually, for example, target our marketing so that we're getting to people and reminding them that we're there in the middle of the night when they're, you know, thinking really dark thoughts.
2: And it's so important because there are a lot of people out there that probably haven't even heard of Beyond Blue too, that haven't heard of Living and all that, which is fine. So it's probably just about creating that awareness. So it's another avenue for people to seek help or reach out to when they might be struggling. And I have this conversation a fair bit with people on the show and it's like not one size fits all. Some people probably really connected with Beyond Blue and some people would be really connected with Headspace or Lifeline. It just, it really depends on where they're at in their journey, I believe. And obviously everyone's very different. No one's suitable for everyone, you know what I mean? It's like seeking a a professional mental health clinician for whatever you might be struggling with right now. And if it doesn't work, it's like a pair of shoes. You take them off and you politely say, thank you, but no, thank you. And I'll go somewhere else for help. But there is help out there, which is what I love about it all. And that's why I always tell people just have the patience and to try and find that right fit, especially in this area. But it can also be extremely tiring. I mean, someone who might be seeking help, for example, for a mental health challenge, spend six weeks seeing a doctor or a psychologist, and they've opened up their whole life story and they've unpacked everything. And then to get to the end and think, oh, this relationship sucks, it doesn't really work, and now I've got to go do that and start all over again. It it can be very tiring. We have those conversations all the time. I know the great work you guys do. It's great to hear, you know, with all the support you guys have as a bigger organization, but also how you can support the smaller organizations. What do you think, Georgie, what do you believe is working real well? What do you think works real well?
1: I think there is a lot of talent in the sector. I've not met anybody having worked in this sector for a while who wants to get up and do a bad job or not help people. Sometimes we all have bad days. Sometimes, you know, we get really frustrated and resources are tight and all the rest of it and we can get cranky and tired. But I think there's an incredible human capital in the sector of incredibly dedicated people who want to do better. So I think that's the first thing. The second thing is I think there is a lot of really strong digital capability and strength and skill in the sector. So we've just had a massive review of Australia's mental health system by the Productivity Commission, which looked at it all angles, social, economic, health. And one of the recommendations the Productivity Commission's made is building a new national digital gateway. So an online one-stop shop, which can actually be a first port of call for many people unless they've got relationships elsewhere, that can help people to start to navigate the system and connect with a whole range of face-to-face and online and telehealth and digital services. So it's a great idea and one that we absolutely support, but it assumes that there's actually not that kind of work happening already, and there is. It's happening in pockets, but we need to really grow it. But there's, you know, Reach Out, for example, is a really sophisticated digital first mental health organisation for young people. Really sophisticated digital thinking and digital technology and Lifeline also really developing a lot of digital capability. got a great platform. We're doing some good work in this space, I think, and the three of us have actually come together over the last 12 months using some of the funding that the Commonwealth government gave us to set up this new coronavirus service. And what we've done is we've actually used that funding to join up our services. So that's when someone comes to the coronavirus service, for example, at the digital site, if they're looking at content that indicates they're in really high suicidal distress and they're a young person, The content that they'll actually be looking at will be reach-outs content, but we won't have shoved them off to reach-out site. It's a seamless experience, right? If we notice that a young person's been looking at pages that indicate they might be thinking of suicide, they'll get a pop-up and it'll say, hey, we've been noticing this, hope everything's okay. Do you want to have a chat with a lifeline text counsellor? And they can literally just click here and they'll start a text chat. So here's three big national organisations who are doing really good work separately. And what we've done is we've actually joined those ecosystems up so that a person actually can be navigated through, you know, without leaving the place that they started at. So that's the kind of thing that I think we actually can do really well as a sector. And I think there's a lot of talent and capability. And
2: I think there's a lot of opportunity there too, because again, this probably brings us back to the start of our conversation where there's a lot of these silos And people are falling through the cracks. I think if you've got one integrated system and everyone's speaking to each other, especially from an organizational point of view, it makes a lot more sense. Logically, we know that. It's just how you can make it work so that it's seamless and it doesn't make people's problems worse who are going to these platforms. The last thing you want to do is overwhelm people that are already feeling overwhelmed. You know, So that's... That's one thing. But you believe, you know, the digital side of things is definitely a growth opportunity for the mental health sector in Australia, because I know it is over here in the States. There are a lot of very, very, very promising things happening over here that, you know, I'd love to see in Australia at some given time. And what are your thoughts on all that?
1: Absolutely. We need to ramp up digital. We've been saying this with many other organizations for years and years and years. We know a lot of people prefer digital support, and that can be just literally looking at digital content. It can be using apps to monitor your mood or more your sleep. So there's a whole wealth of opportunity, I think, for digital supports and we can reach people at scale. We can reach people really cost-effectively. Not everybody's going to need a face-to-face service. And if we can keep people well and help them manage their mental health and stay in recovery and give them pathways to more specialist services, including face-to-face when they need it, then surely that's the kind of system that we should be building.
2: Absolutely. I agree 100%. I think that the ease and the access to online support is going to be a game changer for the space. I mean, we're seeing it right now, but also the access to it and the quickness of it. Like you can pick up a phone and over here in the States, you speak to crisis text line 24 seven, you know what I mean? And the data and all the information that comes out the back of these to support growth things is, is mind blowing. And I think there's a lot of great work getting done. And It's great to hear, you know, what you're up to. How do you manage as a a CEO and obviously being in this space all the time, right? This is your go-to. And people ask me all the time, like, you do so much for other people. You guys deal with very confronting things, obviously, from time to time. How do you look after your own mental health? How do you prioritize self-care, Georgie?
1: It has to be a priority, especially in our industry, right? I had an episode, my first ever episode of experience with depression, Oh gosh, seven seven years ago now. And I was really like knocked for six, right? And I learnt a lot through that experience. And the things that really trigger my mental health declining are lack of sleep, when I stop exercising, when I stop actually, you know, connecting with the people that I love. So really what I do is I first and foremost, I prioritise my sleep and I... Go to the gym three times a week, and I try and make those phone calls or send those texts. Um, sometimes I run out of words at the end of a day. <laughs> I just because I am I am actually an introvert. I tucker myself out <laughs> and then have to kind of go into the fetal position at night. But to me, it's sleep and exercise. Those are the really really important foundations of good mental health for me i have to be really careful about i started drinking a lot when i became depressed so i I have to you know be very mindful about everything in moderation right
2: yeah exactly exactly and sometimes it can go a little bit further and then you oh you got to rein it in but it's good. Like, I mean, it's important to know what works for you and what doesn't work and, you know, where to sort of draw the line, I guess. If I
1: start to feel like I'm not coping or if there's something that's really on my mind, whether that's as a result of my work or, or something, I go and see a psych. I just I go and just go and talk to someone about it. I've done that a few times. So, you know, maybe once a year, just have that checkup.
2: Yeah, I love that. I'm the same. I mean, you go to the gym to be fit and healthy, You exercise to be fit and healthy, but I mean... You don't just stop when you're fit and healthy. The same thing with your mental health. I love to preach it in that regard. You know, you don't just stop seeing a psychologist because you feel great about yourself and you're confident and you're on top of your challenges. You, you keep going because it's like building that muscle repetition is that something that you prioritize from the top down for yourself like do you tell the team self-care is number one care sort of thing and that's a big part of the team culture or
1: yeah look absolutely i think we use that great right phrase that i think is a great one i haven't come across a better one is that you got to put your own oxygen mask on first right if the plane's going down what do they say they say put your oxygen mask on and then look after the people around you we are no good if
2: we're not ourselves. Well, oxygen mask yourself first because you can't help anyone else. It's one of our famous lines we say in our live and well programs. I'm in full agreement of that, and. I think it's so important for not only yourself, but your staff. And you've got to practice what you preach. You've got to have company buying, I guess, and, and staff buying. And who do you use as a mentor, George? Do you have any mentors in your life that you sort of turn to and for advice? Or is it just about surrounding yourself with the right team?
1: Look, I've got one formal mentor and lots of informal ones. And these jobs can be very lonely. So it's really important to find people that you connect with, find people that can challenge you, find people that understand the environments that you're working in and and some people who don't actually, who can give you different perspectives. So I've got one formal mentor and probably two or three other people who I can just call and say, hey, can we catch up? I just want to talk something through with you. So yeah, really, really important to, to find those people. And I think also that peer support. So, you know, there's a group of CEOs in the sector that get together and have dinner and have chats about how we can collaborate better every now and then. So, And that's really an, an experience that I enjoyed too.
2: Yeah, I think that is really important by having a, a perspective from the outside because you're so consumed by the work that you do anyway and that's what you know best, right, because you're in it 24-7. So obviously self-care, but getting a different perspective i found has been something that's been super helpful for myself, for my own growth, but also for my own shortcomings. And it's good getting those honest, hard-hitting opinions in and, and that perspective that you probably not not that you weren't aware of that exists that you probably just haven't paid much attention to. So I think that's always really helpful.
1: Sam when you're in jobs where you've got big titles people assume that you're a superstar and you know you can start to believe your own bullshit you know if you're not careful. So I think you need people around you who are going to bring you back down to earth when you need it if you need it and these are big and important jobs but at the end of the day we're just as fallible as everybody else. And we have to surround ourselves by people who will hold us up, but also give us a kick when we need a good kick
2: <laughs> Yeah, in yeah, a totally nonviolent right.
1: way, of course.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously with all the love and support they can, but underneath all that, they're trying to tell you something. No, well, George, it's been a real pleasure having a chat to you today. I've I've loved every minute of it. I appreciate your time your support, obviously, and and, yeah, just your insights into not only what you're taking on, what you've been able to achieve over the past few years, all the great work that you, yourself, your team, and the people around you are doing. I think it's great. How can people connect with you? And uh, do you have any last words to leave with anyone that might be listening right now that may be struggling or may have had a bad experience in the past with Beyond Blue? We need to hear from these people, especially. So jump on our website,
1: beyondblue.org.au. That's the best place to go because you can see everything, right, including all of our support services. If you want to pick up the phone, it's one 22 46 36 and you can use both through the website and through our service to actually you know, give us feedback. When we don't meet people's expectations, when people don't have a good experience with us, we want to know what happened and we want to know why. A lot of the time we don't meet people's expectations because they think that they're going to get a, an ongoing service from us or something like that. Now we're not built and funded to do that. But if we don't know what's made people cranky, then we can't either apologise or fix it. Really sorry you feel that way, but we can't do that and we never have been able to do that. And, but how can we help you to get to a service that does? So we're all ears on feedback and we do genuinely get back to people. And if we've not covered ourselves in glory, we should say sorry
2: growth and continued learning and all that great stuff is all part of not only an organization it's just part of being a leader and, I, and you've always got to be open to criticism feedback shortfalls things that you've not done well things that you can do better so i love that i think that's great great advice for people listening maybe even starting their own mental health organization right now but big love georgia i appreciate your time go and have a great day keep watching survivor <laughs> and we'll chat real soon all right yeah you look after yourself over there I will, I will. Thank you so much for being on the show. We appreciate you. Thank you again for listening in to another episode of It Ain't Weak to Speak. Please like, share and spread the love to as many people as you can. Let people know that you subscribe to the show. Don't forget to leave a review or a comment so that we can grow this community together because a conversation could save a life. If you want to continue this chat, Please join me on the podcast Facebook group at living.org. I can't wait to share the next episode with you. But in the meantime, stay well, keep living, and remember, it ain't weak to speak. Thank you and have a top day.
0: Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans.